Dan and Corey here, welcoming you in to Libservative. The great fundamental issue now before our people. And welcome in to another rousing rendition of the Observative Podcast, Intellectual Idiots Fostering Political and Cultural Literacy. From Baldu- oh, fuck. I already fucked it up. I already fucked it up. He's... <laughs> He's Bell the Body Snatcher. And he's Corey Walsh. Here to bring you the observative. Did, did I do it okay? I did think I did better than last time. I was really just trying to nail how Dan gets it every single time when he starts the show. This week, so if anyone's noticed, Dan is not here. The guy, uh, the guy got married last weekend. I got to go to the wedding. I was there. I got absolutely just obliterated. Dan has this Manhattan he makes with some cherry bourbon. He has these dope-ass maraschino cherries up from Traverse City, and I probably drank at least nine of them, is what the bartender said to me when I tried talking to her about politics, and she goes, Corey, you're drunk. I've given you like nine of these. Have another drink. So (laughs) so I was like, okay, I'll have another drink. And then I ended up passing out in a cabin at the... uh, reception that wasn't one that i was supposed to be sleeping in but no one seemed to care and i woke up and had a banger of a headache so that all being said dan is out of town he right now i think he's currently in kentucky doing the uh whole bourbon uh trail thing that they have going on there hitting up the distilleries and all that sort of stuff yeah you like kentucky for a wedding he was there for a wedding. Dan's there for a honeymoon. Kentucky is for lovers, apparently. Uh, this week we got AB. <laughs> this week we got ABC polls that spell disaster for Biden. The UAW workers they struck a deal. Uh, Ukraine is corrupt. What? Google versus everybody. They're starting to come down on them with some trust uh, trust laws, antitrust laws, and Ohio has an abortion has abortion on the ballot. And what do we think will happen? And our predictions. So, Bell, what's new? What's going on, man? You know, just what's up? We did. It was Halloween. Me and Bell took out the kids in a blizzard to go and get candy. And it was, if we weren't a little bit with a booze jacket on, it was going to be way colder. The kids, too. We made sure to get them nice and drunk and liquored up before we took them out because we were slipping uh, whiskey into their juices. No, I'm kidding. For any of the feds out there listening, if they are listening. Um, other than that, uh, you want what do you want to start off with, Bell? You want some maybe ABC polls? You want some UAD UAW shit? All right. You know what? Yeah, because you know I've been chomping at this ABC polls the past couple of weeks. What? For Biden. So there was an ABC poll that came out. And at this point, it's probably, Jesus, it's at least two weeks old. But uh, 
ABC held a poll regarding Biden, and it's not looking good for him <laughs> at all. So I'll break it down for the beginning. There's uh, 44% of Americans in the latest ABC News Washington Post poll say they've gotten worse off financially under Biden's presidency, the most for any president in ABC Post polls since 1986. Just 37% of his, uh, this 37% approve of his job performance, while 56% disapprove. Still fewer approve of Biden's performance on the economy, which is 30%. What what do you think went wrong, Bill? <laughs> well, what didn't go wrong? I mean... But, Bill, he added more jobs to the economy in history. You know, in another poll that i seen, I forgot who was, I can find it. But they did a poll with all the Arab Americans, and they said that only 17% of Arab Americans would vote for Biden after his take on the Israeli war. Yeah, he, yeah so that, that poll I actually don't have written down. But if you want to try to find that real quick, um, right now, when you live in a country where for years and years and decades, the, the media narrative is kind of pushed by like five or six conglomerates at the top and there isn't things like social media our media showed that israel was just that's who we back and then there might be some discontent within people like at jobs and bars talking about these things and stuff but the narrative that you would see in the media was we unequivocally back israel well now because of social media that the the role is reversed a little bit and a lot of young people who spend a lot of time on social media like tiktok and instagram and things like that they're actually seeing that Israel isn't necessarily as innocent as the uh, media likes to portray them as in the, in the past decades since, you know, the 60s or whatever. And so the Biden administration in their establishment ways have just come out like they have in previous years to unequivocally promote or back Israel. And the young people just are not having it. And young people in this country right now who... God bless them. You know, some of them have, are going a little crazy. And like, I'm hoping that more see nuance in this issue that like neither side really is innocent. They're both just sitting over there fighting and fucking over each other and things like that. And you're seeing a lot of young people who are taking this, like almost like a counterculture approach and basically saying that like they, they, uh, they want to see a free Palestine and things like that. Well, our media is taking that narrative that they're saying and they're running with it and saying that they all just support Hamas apparently. And now there are some that do, you do see it on the different college campuses of them actually supporting Hamas. And then what's funny is because on the flip side of that, now you're now seeing a bunch of Republicans and a bunch of people who used to be the champions of free speech. Now coming around and saying that these people need to be shut up and told and like they're they need to be doxxed we need to find out who they are and that uh if they supported the palestinians at all in this whole atrocity where there is no innocent there's blood on hands on both sides and there isn't no innocent group saying that they can't find jobs like they shouldn't be given jobs they need to be blacklisted in some sort of mccarthyism type shit that we saw during the red scare in the 20s um desantis you know in his ever loving uh, 
And he just loves expanding the government and any chance he gets. And he was saying that if anyone has, a, and we talked about this and I think either last week or the week before, but he was saying that anyone who's here, like on a visa, if they're supporting Palestine and not Israel, that I guess fuck the constitution and fuck their free speech and kick them out, out of the country. Yeah. Stop, stop paying for their college. Yeah. Out of the country. Yeah. All so crazy. shit. Yeah. Fuck the constitution. Fuck free speech. They're saying what we don't like, so get them out of here. When just a short, you know, before the Israeli con uh, conflict, uh, it was uh, people on the left who were trying to censor people, and now it's come in a horseshoe effect and has gone to the right. No, I'm not shocked. No, it's it's the biggest issue we have with our podcast itself: the fact that no one wants to hear our opinions; they just want to hear their opinions regurgitated to them. And everyone likes to pretend that uh, they're all free speech absolutists, but then as soon as someone says something they don't like, they go, "You better shut up right now." And uh, we're seeing that come in a full horseshoe uh, roundabout way because now it's people on the right that are trying to silence people and censor people when it's been the left for the past couple of years. So back to these polls, I'm really trying to stay away from the topic of Israel because there are way smarter people who are struggling to try to come up with the right articulations to talk about it than me. Just to just to go back one second, um, the last time they did a poll, this is, this is Reuters, by the way, the last time they did a poll was in 2020, and uh, Arab American support for Biden was at 59%. With Arab Americans, with Arab Americans in twenty twenty, before and then right before the outbreak of violence in the Middle East, it fell to thirty five percent, which was pretty much on par with the rest of the country. And then yesterday, they did a poll, and Arab American support fell to seventeen percent. That sounds about right because he's just giving Israel time, blank checks. First time that since its inception in nineteen ninety seven, that a majority of Arab Americans. Because they just created this poll in What's up, Bright Nice? That a majority of Arab Americans did not identify as Democrats. Oh, now that now they're just saying I'm not even a Democrat anymore. Yeah, this is the first time because since they started this poll, a majority of Arab Americans have identified as Democrats, and this is the first time that that's interesting. The majority has not. So, if you've listened to previous episodes, we've talked about on the show of how um, a lot of Hispanics. And even like the black community, there's a little bit of rifts between them. And like the, they're not like before you could just count on them for voting Democrat. And now you're starting to see a lot more of intricacies and people being peeled away a little bit on different things. And uh, it sounds like Biden is really uh, like not necessarily about like the morality of the whole issue. But when it comes to straight politics in his campaign, he really screwed the pooch on this one. And I think you're seeing that. And I think that his whole campaign is realizing that because as evidenced by the fact that now they're not, they're softening their speech and just unequivocally supporting Israel. But instead now they're trying to advocate like a ceasefire to kind of go, why can't everyone just get along to go along? And, but Israel is just, is just not having it. Your voice is lower than mine. So go ahead and crank that puppy up a little bit. Thanks, bright and eyes. Is this better? Is this? You got to get closer to the mic, Bill. You just got to get closer to the mic. <laughs> so 74% of Americans 
say that Biden is too old for a second term, and that is up six percentage points since May. So every single day that Biden gets older, <laughs> more and more people are going, Jesus, he's too fucking old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that he's falling downstairs and literally do, like, doing the things. That really old people do, yeah, right? He's, he's the things. He's doing all the things old people do. I don't want to generalize or anything. Letting his dog bite people. Have you, have you heard about that, right? You've heard about that? The old, old trooper. The old trooper has bitten like six people in the White House. <laughs> it's a German Shepherd. Which is ironic. <laughs> Nazis like those dogs. Biden, what's up? <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, check your settings, Bill. Check your settings real quick. What's your output? Because it might be originally set to your computer. Your uh, settings. Right down there. Look at your audio output. We're doing... Nope. You need to go to USB. Oh, wait. No, never mind. That's a lie. You're right. You're right, Bell. Never mind. Forget everything I just said. Is there an on-off switch on your microphone? Hmm. Yes, you just got to talk louder. Because when so people who are into audio will understand this, but if you have an XLR cable that's plugged into an input, but it's not plugged into anything else, it just picks up interference and then this will create like a light buzz. So what happens when I come to your house and do an episode? I know, but it's probably you're probably way more comfortable doing that than. Dan playing dial-up sounds every time you try to I don't talk. know. I can't even hear it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways, uh, so Biden's approval of approval versus disapproval. Overall, 56% disapprove of him, 37% approve. On the economy, it's 64% disapprove and 30% approve. And on immigration, on the immigration situation at the Mexico-U.S. border, 62% disapprove and only 23% approve. So Biden's underwater and basically all like the biggest aspects of the country, whether it's things going on overseas, like you were mentioning with Israel, uh, the border here back at home, the economy, even though it's so wild, right? Like it's so insane to see them just pretend and constantly talk about how the economy is good. I was just about to say, is it doing good or is it doing bad? It depends on who you ask, I guess. <laughs> I know. If you ask, uh, what's her name? Is it Kareem Jean-Pierre? I think that's his, uh, does that sound right? I don't know. I think that's his press secretary or Biden or anyone on his staff. They're all like, oh, the economy is great. It's the greatest. Jobs back. It's the great. There's so many jobs. There's so many jobs going around that. It's like if I was There's, a wizard and and I went and slayed somebody down and then I was like, oh shit, wrong person, and brought him back to life. I'm not a hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If I kill somebody and then bring them back to life, I am not a hero. I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the economy is great. It's so good that everyone has a job. In fact, there's a bunch of people that have two or three jobs just to make ends meet because the economy is so great. <laughs> but don't worry, jump for his part. Has improved in re- and Trump, and for his part, has improved in retrospect. When he reluctantly left office in January 2021, 
a 30, 38% approved of his work as president, essentially the same as Biden's rating now. But currently, looking back, 48% say they approve of Trump's performance when he was in office, matching his peak as president. Essentially, as many, 49% now disapprove, down from 60% when he left the White House. That's interesting. Which I find really interesting, right? Like, it's like people Trump that, was one of the most annoying goddamn presidents. People that because, hated Trump now miss Trump. Yeah. I mean, there's people there that won't admit it in public, but there is a. 38% to 49%. That's a whole 11% difference of people <laughs> who are like, ah, you know what? Maybe the guy wasn't so bad. That's not me saying it. That's 10% of the people in this poll for the country. Um, comparison with Biden may be a factor among 56% of Americans who disapprove of Biden's work in office a wide 75% say that looking back, they approve of Trump. So a lot of people are looking back with a bit of a hindsight going, ah, hindsight was 2020. Now, you know, like when you do look back, if you want to actually look back with an honest lens, the economy was a hell of a lot better. Money was a lot cheaper for loans. Yeah. Inflation was, was a hell of a lot lower. People were paying less for gas, for food. Yeah. For essential things. North Korea was like the lowest threat it's ever been. And we had countries. He went there. Yeah. He went there. My man went there. And we had countries acknowledging Israel was a state. Yeah. God, am I simping for Trump right now? You know what I say? I Do you know what I do? I always tell people, I'm just like, don't make me defend Donald Trump. But you're not really defending him. It's just that's. I'm just what trying to was. be it's what out, it lay out some objective facts. You're not saying you're going to go vote for the guy. <laughs> I'm but, not going to fucking vote for him. Right. I might just write my own name down again. 62. <laughs> I'll, write, I'll write your name. Yeah, that, that would Let's double do that would double the amount of votes I got in 2020. Sweet. Let's <laughs> do it. 62% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents say the party should pick someone other than Biden as the nominee for 2024. Over half of the people who want to vote for Biden, or I mean, who are Democrat or Democratic leaning, <laughs> say, "Hang up, hang up that, hang up the saddle, old boy. <laughs> Let your host roam free. You, you need to go off to the pasture." Eight percent. Eight percent. Only eight. Express a preference for Kamala Harris. Oh. 8% for Bernie Sanders and 7% for Robert you know F. Kennedy I Jr. I, ha- I have seen a couple of Kamala Sims. I have seen, like, I don't talk about failing up. She was one of the first ones to drop out. My girl Tulsi just completely embarrassed her hey. on the national stage. Hey, what does that tell you? Who's the first one to drop out of the Republican race this year? Um, Mike Pence. Sure was. Yeah, Pence is out. Pence is out. After much prayer and deliberation, he realized that this was not his time. Because he probably said, God, if you want me to be president, let me know. And didn't get an answer. And was like, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> I'm out of here. Oh, real quick. Will you look up a, uh, like, uh, I don't know if it would be on Gallup or ABC. Just look up uh, presidential polling. I'm just one. I'm just curious what RFK's, uh, polling numbers are right now because last time i think i checked it was like 
17%, which is actually pretty amazing. When it's the, the way our electoral process is set up, when there's a three-way race between an independent and two, uh, a Democrat and a Republican, you really only technically need like 34, 35% to win the vote. And if he's still at like 17 or 18, he's damn near halfway there. Um, in the 2024 presidential election, the Republican Party uh, nominated preference. It's still at 54% for Trump and 43% uh, cumulatively for any other candidate. And that includes all of them that are on the ticket. In the Democratic Party, but people who lean Democrats, 62% said they've, they that they want to vote for someone else versus a 33% for Biden. And then all adults, when this poll was taken, which was about roughly two, two and a half weeks ago, in the 2024 preference, 51% said Trump, 42% said Biden. So Dan, let me ask you, but not Dan, Bell. Dan's off doing newlywed things. Let your imagination run wild. Uh, are you ready for possibly another Trump presidency? I've been ready for another possible Trump presidency. And it's not because well, you still have a MAGA crowd that's fairly large. Yeah, he's so that's the difference between him and Biden, too, right? Like everyone that voted for Biden was like, well, fuck, at least he's not Trump. Right. No, but Trump still has a diehard base that will crawl over broken glass for him. And there's people that aren't diehard that are still going to vote for him. And. You, so you I'm watch, wondering, well, you watch Biden do terrible every literally every single day. Yeah. And then like every 30 days or so, he does something. You're like, all right, you know, but it's like. You just watch him do bad and it and <laughs> you watch him do bad. Right. You watch him fumble right. over his words. Right. And you see all these people share, even sharing memes on Facebook, like remember these gas prices? And it was like two twenty five. Like, yeah, I remember those gas prices. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, people, people want a better life here. They're not getting a good life here under Biden. And they did under Trump and some did. Some people weren't better yeah. off, but yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. But no, it's take away his Twitter, mm. and, you know, like, Right. Take yeah. away his ability to just diarrhea from his mouth. And well, that's what that's that right there is still why he's he still has a ridiculously high disapproving le level, disapprovement level as well. It's just comparatively to Biden, people are like, oh, yeah, maybe Trump wasn't so bad. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, so. Another possible factor is the message sending. A hypothetical vote preference question 14 months before an election is predictive of nothing. So I'm, I'm reading off this poll that I had, and right now it sounds like they're trying to like disregard the actual like outcome. Because they said a possible factor is message sending. A hypothetical vote preference question 14 months before an election is predictive of nothing. It's best seen as an opportunity for the public to express its like or dislike of the candidates. Biden is broadly unpopular and doubts about his suitability for a second term are extensive. Wherever they end up in more than a year, a substantial number of Americans today are taking the opportunity to express their displeasure. So Biden has just a 50% support for members of racial and ethnic minority groups. While Trump has inched up from 32 to 39, or from 32 to 39 to 43 percent support in this group in the same year, 
or in this year's ABC Post polls. Among Hispanics, it's a surprising 50 to 44% Trump-Biden, albeit with a small sample. So the very people that the left was actually trying to say that Trump was trying to get rid of almost, and and best case scenario for Trump, that is, half of them still want to vote for him. See, that's interesting because um, we interviewed Roger not too long ago, Mm -hmm. and he brought up like because you know he's from a Hispanic household that if you don't vote Democrat, that right, if you don't vote Democrat, that you're kind of alienated for it, right? And I think a lot of that's dying out because a lot of these minorities see that they're not actually doing anything for them that they promise. They promise they're going to do this and that, but they don't actually do anything. They just want the votes. Right. Yeah. It's like when Demi- when Trump was in office, all the Democrats are like, oh, Trump is putting kids in cages. And then Biden comes in office. They, they did it before Trump and, and they did it after kids Trump. kids cages and Obama actually built the cages. Um, among 18 to 35 year olds, Trump has a slight 53 to 38% advantage, largely significant at this sample size. Still, that essentially matches what is what it was in May. And Trump also has numer- was a numerically ahead in this group, albeit not significantly, by 50 to 43% in February. So that right there is the base, right? The young voters. Yeah. Democrats always strive to get the young voter out. And now this poll is before the Israeli thing happened. And as we were talking a little bit ago, a lot of young people don't necessarily just collectively support Israel and what they're doing over there. Now, I don't think that necessarily makes them anti-Semitic because that's the narrative you like to see in the news. But I don't think they like to see uh, Israel doing what we did to kids in other countries for 23 years when we were just carpet bombing villages and carpet bombing hospitals and schools and stuff like that. Israel's doing the same thing. Like Dan shared with us the other day, he said, Nikki, what did Nikki Haley say? Being, uh, being an anti-Zionist is being an anti-Semite. Right. So that includes Jewish people who are anti-Zionist. That's not true. They're anti-Semites. Make that make sense. That, That makes no sense at all. Trump has gained seven points from May among men. Now a 61 to 34 percent result against Biden. That's led by a 15 point gain for Trump among non-college educated white men, a mainstay group for him to 79 percent support. Now I don't mean to uh, talk about the uneducated, but that <laughs> makes that makes complete sense. Uh, don't say that. What? <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> I'm just saying, white like, and I'm not saying it necessarily to disparage people, <laughs> blue collar people trades workers that are literally shitting in porta potties and on the job site have a different verbiage about the way they talk about things and the way they do things. It's a little bit more brash and I'm not disparaging any of these people when I say this, but it's not the hoity toity elitist white collar pearl clutching stuff you see with elitists and stuff like that. These people here, when Trump says the shit he's saying, when you're in the trades field, you hear people saying it all the fucking time. So it's not as much of a shock and awe for you. Right. So you're not as sides, affected so. by Trump's abrasiveness yeah. versus other people who try to make it seem like 
they're on a moral high ground. Does that make sense? No, I know what you say. I work in both sides. I get to see the construction side and then the other side where everybody's up. So, no, I completely get what you're saying. <clears throat> like, yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's just two different worlds. Mm-hmm. I'm still blue collar. And the shit that we say there in the factories and on the floors and when I was doing trades work, when I was doing carpentry, yeah. would make a would make the Mona Lisa blush, you know, and make and make a nun like cover their face. Yeah, I'll tell you what, when you're in the front of a funeral home though, and they, you know, people are talking, it's all prim and proper. But once you hit that back door, everyone's outside, they light up the cigarette as soon as they walk outside. No, there's only one person that smokes cigarettes. But oh, you're talking about amongst the workers. Yeah, amongst the workers, boy. And I think that's what it is. Like a lot of people, they pretend to be this. Exactly. Like so, when you go, when you go higher, like person, like everyone puts on a face, right? When they go out in public, they put on a face. They try to uh, portray themselves as something they might not necessarily be. So when you think about Congress, you think all these people are like you know prim and proper and all that but really they're just like him you know they're just like him oh yeah what was it uh the, who was the guy in the wheelchair Cuthree or uh the republican uh he was in the wheelchair oh my gosh i forgot his name uh it's like Cawthree or something like that but uh remember he was talking about how he was being invited to orgies and how everyone there had blow and Ben Dreyfus's response was, and these aren't my words, and Ben Dreyfus's response was like, oh, please, who's going to invite someone in a wheelchair to an orgy? And then he's like, not that I'm necessarily against people in wheelchairs going to orgies. He's like, but you have to prepare everyone for that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I remember that. Holy shit. Um, Americans that- continue to, I'm sorry, go ahead. So they swept that under the rug real quick. Oh, yeah, they, they shut that one down. <laughs> And then all the Democrats are like, oh, yeah, these damn Republicans. And then they found blow in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> it's because they're all fucking doing blow, okay? Who, did anyone acting like your representative isn't out doing drugs and just banging strippers and doing all the sorts of crazy things? Look that- at Gretchen Whitmer. Tell me she's never done some blow. You think Gretchen Whitmer's done blow? I think she does blow. Still. Yeah, it's not a smile. It's just ah! <laughs> like her teeth are just gritting. No, dude, I think she like goes for her long weekends in Traverse City. You know, at her cottage. To take she sends her look. sends her husband up two days before to get the boat out. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? You know, see what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't want to do shit when I get up there. Well, that's why they're all out on boats because there's not cameras on boats. Right. I don't want to do shit when I'm up there. Put the boat in the water. Right. You know? I'm on, I'm gonna be on blow. <laughs> <laughs> Americans continue to oppose the U.S. Supreme Court ruling ending the constitutional right to an abortion, 64 to 30%. Biden is preferred to Trump by critics of that decision by 57% to 35%. Supporters of the ruling favor Trump by a much wider 81 to 16%. So that's interesting. That's a single, like a lot of, uh, because abortion is something that a lot of single issue voters like to try to vote for. There's people who will vote for one candidate based on that thing alone. Are they pro or anti-abortion? I'm not going to knock anyone whether which one they vote for. I just think personally that single issue voting is absolutely absurd. (laughs) 
It is a gun. Like, is he pro or against abortion? It's like, well, he's he's against abortion, but you know, he also wants to everything outlaw whistling. RFK Jr. <laughs> what about RFK Jr.? The whole vaccine thing. Oh yeah, it's a, yeah. Even though, so that got so convoluted because when I went to his uh, town hall, when someone blatantly asked him about that, his response was, "I'm not anti-vaccine. What I want is for people to, or what I want is more stringent regulations and more like open." Uh, openness when it comes to the results and the different uh like yeah the results of the different test studies and stuff on vaccines i'll be honest i was waiting for an impression oh that's dan dan does the the uh rfk impression i'm not very good i just my name is bobby kennedy <laughs> that's all i got <laughs> and then that's that's it but <laughs> stack up what he's fighting for versus trump or biden and they don't hold a candle to him talking about BlackRock and Vanguard and all that and taking down the people yeah. who own virtually everything. That's how you make America great again. Not platitudes. And people don't really want to do that. He does. Yeah, I know, but people don't. Not the big I think he'll donor go, supporters. I think he'll get more than 5% of the vote, though. He's pulling a 17 right now. I know, but it doesn't come. To, it doesn't matter. People ask online for polls, but it it takes people going out to actually vote. That's true. A lot of people don't do that. We st- we still got a whole year. <coughs> we do have We're going to see what happens. It's going to be wild. So preferences have fluctuated among non-Hispanic white Catholics, often a contested group. They supported Trump over Biden by 63 to 33% in February. This shrank to a dead heat in May, and it's back to 66 to 32% now. Biden is a devout Catholic, and he talks about it all the time. Trump talks about two Corinthians, and he clearly doesn't give a shit about religion whatsoever. Yet the Catholics are now supporting Trump over Biden. I mean, does that shock you? No, it's because Biden is trash. And like, this is the thing. It's, it's like we're talking too, about you this. You just talked about single-issue voting, too. I mean, yeah. a lot of those Catholics are against abortion. Even though they agree with democratic policies, that's true. But uh, oh man, what was I gonna say? And like, and like, it sounds like because of the way this poll is set up, you know, it's Trump Biden. And honestly, Biden's only shot is the fact that Trump is gonna be the one against him. But yeah, oh, I lost. My, I forgot what I was gonna say. Oh, and know what I was basically what I was getting at is like we're not here to promote Trump and just dog shit on Biden. The Democrats just need to come out with a better fucking candidate because how in the hell do you let someone like Trump beat you in these fucking polls? How do you let him beat you in an election? How do you, you, not even that? Oh, Hillary, yeah. Hillary Clinton. Like, how do you let Donald Trump beat you in an election? How do you, how do you let that? Easy. You just write off all the blue collar and like less educated people in America and you just call them a basket of deplorables. She didn't even come to our state. No, she didn't. She thought she had it on lock. She lost our state. How presumptuous is that? Yeah. Among people who reported having voted for Trump in 2020, 96% still support him now. Biden, though, 
retains fewer of his 2020 supporters, 88%. Of the rest, 7% support Trump now, up from 3% in February, with the rest undecided, supporting another candidate or not planning to participate. Mm -hmm. Among people who say they did not vote in 2020, Trump has a 57 to 32% advantage currently. This was 52 to 31% in May. Mm-hmm. Among the 62% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents who oppose Biden for the nomination, 16% say they would vote for Trump over Biden. Damn. The relationship between candidate preference and economic sentiment is strong. Among the 44% of Americans who say they've gotten worse off financially under Biden's presidency, Trump has, has an 84 to 12% advantage. Among those who are in the same shape financially, not worse, but also not better off, it flips 66 to 25% Biden-Trump. It is similar among the comparative few who are better off. So there's a lot of people who do not see the economy being better than it was before Biden came into office. And you can spin however you want. It doesn't matter is if someone is sitting there and you can tell them, oh, unemployment's low, this and that. The stock market is good, this and that. They're watching the grocery bills expand. They're watching the rent go up. They're watching their wages fall behind inflation. And, they, and they're basically just saying, like, we're not as dumb as you think we are. We see the right. writing on the wall. You know, not only that, we're seeing the most, you know, you're seeing the most car repossessions of all time right now. Yeah. People well, can't afford to drive. People can't afford to eat. And the highest credit card rate or credit uh, card debt ever. That doesn't shock me either. That's crazy. So on what views of the economy, 74% of Americans say that the overall economy is not so good. while 25% say it's good. For food prices, 91% say it's not so good, while 8% say it's good. Excellent. Or excellent. Gas prices or energy prices, 87% said that it's not so good or poor, and 12% said that it's excellent or good. And so when I look at these numbers, I think that those 12% just have a shit ton of money and like... Yeah. And it's like, like oil, oil stock, and they're like, oh, what are you talking about? This is great. Or they're just one of those people that want to believe it's great. Right. But just it's blatantly really just lying. Yeah. Food I, prices, 8% say it's good. They probably all own supermarkets. Right, I have to believe there's a couple of those. <laughs> Average incomes, 78% say it's not so good or poor. 21% say it's excellent or good. An unemployment rate. 57% of the country say not so good or poor, and 35% say it's good. Mm. Not that other ratings are easy. 75% rate the incomes of average Americans negatively. It's much lower for the unemployment rate, 57%, but still negative given the dark public mood. This ABC News Washington po- Post poll was conducted by landline and cellular telephones. At, oh, so this is from September. So this is r- roughly a month and a half ago at this point. Between September 15th and September 20th, 2023, in English and Spanish, among a random national sample of 1,006 adults. Partisan divisions are 25, 25, 42, Democrats, Republicans, Independents. Results have a marginal of a sampling error of 3.5 percentage points, including the design effect. The sampling error is not the only source of differences in polls. So that 3.5% is... None of these polls are close enough, I believe, other than maybe like some at the top of like 60 to 44 or like what was uh, 
No, there it's it's still obvious. Every yeah, it's still it's still very obvious. Even if you give him five percent, it's still very obvious. Yeah, it's not looking good for Biden. So another question is, do you think RFK pulls more votes from Biden or Trump? Because when you follow the narrative, it's really funny because when RFK Jr. was still on the Democratic ticket, a shit ton of Trump supporters and Republicans were just bolstering him up, talking about how great he is and this and that. But then as soon as he went independent and and then the polling came out and they realized he was pulling votes for Trump, they're all just like, oh, well, he's a liberal. He's a liberal. I hate to answer your question with a question because it's rude. But you volunteered for the Tulsi Gabbard campaign. Mm -hmm. She was running as a Democrat. She Mm -hmm. is not a Democrat. No. How many people that went to her town hall meetings and stuff, how many of them were actually Democrats that you talked to? Mm Hmm. Put that into perspective. I would say, I would say it's a mix. You know, I know a lot of Republicans who think she's one of the good ones. That's what they they would say. She's one of the good ones, right? Which shows you that Republicans, if the Democrats actually had a decent fucking candidate, they probably would pull some Democratic votes. Like you know how those like the Reagan Democrats, they would probably be like so and so Republicans, where people would vote for them. The fact that RFK does speak about a lot of things like on the liberal end of the spectrum still is garnering diehard Trump supporters only goes to show that if Democrats promoted an actually good candidate who wasn't bought and paid for by the elitists and the banks and things like that, that they might actually get some votes. Probably. So I don't really think they're going to, pull votes from one or the other. I think it's just they're RFK is just going to pull votes. I think so. I'm um, hoping it's a wash from either side. No, I don't think so either. It's, I think it's going to be interesting. I think he's going to pull a lot of votes because there's, a, there's a lot of Democrats that are sick of bullshit and there's a lot of Republicans that are sick of bullshit too. You can even look, I mean, you look on Facebook, there's, there's a group, I think it's called holding Republicans accountable. And there is thousands of people in there. That are Republicans that don't like what Republicans are doing. Yeah, have you noticed that? I feel like Republicans are a lot quicker to talk shit about their own party. Yeah. Than Democrats. Yeah, Democrats are really like cultish. Now, me. don't get me wrong. Trump yeah. on his own. So the, I think the he's MAGA, got a cult following think, him. Don't right, get me wrong. I was wrong, just about to say, but, I think the MAGA Republicans have like a cult following thing going on. The, the Democrats truly do. I mean, you watch, you watch AOC. When's the last time you heard AOC say anything out of control? The, the Green New Deal. Smacked. Yeah, isn't that insane? And That's kind of sad, right? Like when she first got in, she was young. She was fresh. She had all these progressive ideas. I, like, I was like, nothing. oh, yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden she just got. I agreed with nothing j- that she said, but I was like, you're a good politician. Up. Yeah. yeah, you're a great politician. You ask for everything because you expect a little bit out of what you asked for, but you ask for the moon and they give you a, a they didn't give her rock. shit. And now she's not even asking for it anymore. Now right, she's just nothing. swallowed up into the whole establishment, right? Like, into the cult. Yeah. Into the cult. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she went from speaking her, like being a bartender and being like a Bernie Sanders type to now go into the Met Gala in a 
what was the, how much was that dress? 200, $400,000. Something like rich. that. And it says eat the rich on it. She is the rich. And she's hobnobbing with the rich. Yeah. We see those platitudes. Like I see, I see that grandstanding, like get out of here with your virtual signaling mm-hmm. and your grifting and all that shit. For, oh. All right. UAW struck a deal. Oh yeah. You know, so this one, it's interesting. Cause this one hit home. Uh, because we live in the Metro Detroit area. So we actually saw a lot of the strikes and we saw the people out on the picket lines. I drive for a living. And uh, those that know Michigan might know the road Van Dyke. And uh, I was driving a lot and honking and waving at the workers standing along Van Dyke pretty much all the way down because we have Ford and Chrysler. Yeah. And so, I mean, all the way down. I'm sure people live in areas that like that list of the show that live in industrial areas. But if people, like just to put into perspective how big like some of these plants are around here they're like one square mile where it's like a mile the whole compound is like one mile long by one mile wide you have 2600 workers picketing on the road from each plant and there's yep four or five plants and the Stellantis plant by here is like it has to do with like the Dodge Rams and stuff like that and that yeah. was the that would that one was the gut punch because they went on strike for what a week of the whole 46 days and all of a sudden they're like all right you know it was it, the, in retrospect the way that Sean Fain did that the guy was a genius I know you you wanted to look him but you're a prick but yeah like he, he was definitely doing like so he wore an eat the rich shirt too Oh, I know. I hate it. That was the worst part about the whole strike. I'm like, you're a dick. But he wasn't at the Met Gala. He was talking to blue collar workers and telling them to stand strong and in solidarity. And that motherfucker got them the fucking deals. Hey, you want to hear something funny? So I have an insider over at uh, Toyota. And And Toyota is not union. Toyota will be union very soon. Oh, they're going to buy. So I heard rumblings about this. Toyota will be a union very soon. They're UAW, right? Yes. They're joining the union. And uh, do you think Tesla's going to get hit with unions? Tesla's. So, because that is one thing that Biden did that's good. They recently passed their. Uh, Dude, Tesla will move to South Africa before it ever lets a union go open there. Do you know how much billions of dollars that would cost, though? He doesn't care. Do you think he cares? Uh, you know, I man. think. Look what that man did with Twitter. He's offering people millions of dollars to do dumb shit. You think he cares? He would do it in bite he gets so much money in subsidies though like that would literally fuck up i don't i don't think he would like what's real quick google what's the average wage of a uh of a tesla shop floor worker because if it's comparable to the union already and they vote because that is one thing that right now the uh that i do give the biden administration credit for like just to get their foot in the door when it comes to supporting workers is Right now, there's a whole there's a whole procedural process you have to go through, right? When you want to get you when you want to make your your plant they make or your fifteen workplace. to thirty dollars an hour. Oh, dude, they're probably gonna try to make a union. Yeah. <laughs> he's been known. To- <coughs> yeah, he's a union buster, yeah. just like Amazon is. Yeah, yeah like all the big buster. corporations are. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not in oh, any way cucking for the guy or simping for the guy, but uh. Biden's administration with the Department of Labor right now is making it to where like so there's a whole procedural process you have to go through if you want to make your place a union. You kind of whisper around, you're like, hey, do you want to join the union or whatever? Right? I don't have to whisper around anymore. No, you don't really. And what the, what you do is 
everyone has to get a get a, gets a union card. You have to get fifty one percent of the vote. Well, no. So first, you have to get fifty one percent of people to say that they'd be interested in joining yes. a union, and you get union cards, and then you find a union, and then you get that rep, and then that rep shows up and goes, "All right, everyone." And then they try to advocate to get people to vote for the union. Yep. And usually it's someone who works within the plant to where before a company could find a really shoddy way to fire that person. Right. And that's what would be considered union busting Starbucks. Yep. A lot of the Starbucks are doing this because they have high turnover rates. So the department of labor right now made it to where if you get 51% of those union cards, you still have to honor that and you still have to follow the procedure to make the, do the actual vote and things like that. But if there's any shred of evidence that the business itself is trying to shut down that union, then the union cards count as the vote. Essentially <laughs> my verbiage isn't exactly like how it should be, but yeah, like it's right now there. that's, that's uh that's a, that's a step in the direction to where it's a more union friendly environment for the workers. I have a lot of positives and negatives to say about unions, right? Like police unions, teachers unions, any public sector union, I think is absolute garbage because what they do ultimately is they protect bad teachers, they protect bad cops. But I think that there should be as least restrictive barriers as possible when it comes to all of the workers who are all on the floor, who all work together, collectively bargaining for better wages from their boss. Call me crazy. Call me a leftist. I guess do whatever you want. I think that the workers should be able to like collectively say, hey, we're all doing this work together. We think you should be able to give us more money. Let's work out any sort, a sort of contract because they're not demanding that contract negotiation has to happen. It's similar to a court, like a court of law would like, you know, like you hear people all the time say things like, oh, that jury sucked. And it's like, oh yeah, the jury sucked, right? Well, guess what? You can blame the prosecutor or you can blame the, the attorney of the defendant or whoever you want because they all decided to fucking choose that jury because they all vote on the jurors that they're going to choose. <laughs> You could say the UAW, you know, just did highway robbery on this contract deal that they got. It took two to tango. The fucking companies voted or not voted, but agreed to this contract to give to the workers. And individual workers could not come up with those deals. But collective bargaining of those said workers could make those deals. And I'm 100% for that. Because these, 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 these plants could... Right, they could just fire everyone. Yeah, I ain't no one stopping them from doing that. But the pub, but the the uh, the public fallout, you know, like the the publicity. It's very I, in my it's very libertarian. Yeah, it really when is. the workers get to negotiate that with the yes. business and the contract that they're deciding on their workplace, and the government is out of it. Yeah, that's pretty damn libertarian in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's not. There's no government involved. That's that's where it is in my eyes. There's no government involved there. It's literally just people banding together like, hey, we should be treated better. That's why I ultimately support unions. Right. And it's up to the business. No government. But union busting and all that. But it's up to, it's also, you know I want an even hand on either side. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I agree that. You gotta you have to. You have to. Fuck, dude. Because workers could potentially put a company out of business. And on the flip side, 
the company could literally sit there and just pay these people's pennies. And instead of them getting a fair wage, it falls on me and you, Bell, because then our tax dollars have to supplement those workers to where instead of them just getting a fair wage working 40 hours, they could be in a place like Walmart to where now our tax dollars are paying for their welfare, paying for their Section 8, paying for their Medicare and Medicaid. I'm not saying that those programs are bad, but I honestly believe that anyone working 40 hours a week shouldn't have to rely on the government for shit. Hmm. So the UAW members recently got a tentative deal with General Motors, the last of the big three automakers, that could end their six-week strike. The deal includes a 25% wage increase, cost of living adjustments, improved retirement benefits, and more. The deal is similar to the ones reached for the Ford and Stellantis, but it still needs to be ratified by the workers. The UAW strike was the first simultaneous strike against all three companies and the longest U.S. auto strike in 25 years. It was a historic campaign that won record gains for the workers. So here's basically how it breaks down. This is what these guys got. Wage increases. All workers will receive an immediate 11% wage increase and additional increases that will provide workers a total of 25 percentage points of pay hikes by the time the contract expires in early 2020, 2028. By the time, hold on, by the time that happens, basically, people that are making $25 an hour right now will be making around $48 an hour by the time this contract expires. And you know what? I'm Honestly, I'm okay with that because That's of the fact that, good. like, as before I said, I don't want to have people who work 40 hours a week have to rely on the government for anything. Not These auto industries originally created the middle class. Not only that. And then they got greedy. In 2008, when the economy crashed, these workers gave up a lot of shit to make sure that these to companies stayed jobs. in business. Yeah. Give them their shit back. Yeah. That's, that's another great fucking argument, right? Like, the workers took the cuts. The workers, like, got rid of COLA, which is cost of living adjustments. They got rid of all sorts of things just to keep their shop doors open and keep these companies afloat. And now they're showing record profits. It's time that you give the workers back what they gave away for you just to stay in business. Give them their shit back. Right. (laughs) So the cost of living adjustments, workers will have a return, which, so yeah, they got rid of COLA and now they're going to return the cost of living adjustments made to their hourly pay rate to protect them against price increases. Uh, So their price, so they're getting retirement benefits where workers will have a, Workers who have a traditional pension plan will receive improved pension benefits and workers hired since 2007 will receive increased company contributions to their 401k. However, the union did not get its goal of resumption of traditional pension plans for those post-2007 hires. So I've always been on the side of a 401k versus a pension. And this also goes against Social Security. I think that as much as our government does quantitative easing, and goes in and does backstops and then fiddles with the uh, fiddles in the actual stock market and buying yeah. and selling stocks because our government does do that all the time. Well, yeah, you got to keep the bubble going. That instead of doing a social security, that there should be a sort of a trust that just does very, very low risk investments. That instead of us just putting money into a pot and it getting a 1% increase, you could take that and put that into a trust like it's a 5 or 6% increase. And then you're not going to have to deal with this being in a general fund to where people are getting their money taken, like where people are going to 
where people's social security is always on the ballot of whether or not it's going to be funded or not. I'm creating a giant bubble. I'm talking about creating a giant bubble. Yeah. You think so? If it was just like, like simply like basically just investing in something like gold or precious metals, like a very, very low risk. Doesn't matter. Low, low comeback. Unless something happens one year. You know what I it's, it's, Or then do it like this. You know, it's you one do- of those things. It's it's it it's a low turnover. Like you get a low profit from it because it doesn't change that much. You know what I mean? Right, but it still have a better change Maybe. than uh, like more p- people who have four hundred one ks are way financially better off on the grand scheme and grand scale than people who are just on social security because there's an actual return. Yeah, and they're not taking the chance. No, I mean, but. They're there really- there should be an option. You should be yeah. able to like or or even in the very least give the option. You can just give us this money that's like your social security that we just put into a chest that no one touches your entire life. Or you can take a chance <laughs> and you put it in we take that money and we invest it in gold. I mean, I'm with you. Like it's just that's that's what it is. It'd be creating another bubble and that would drive up the price of gold or drive down the price of gold. Just doing that. You think so? Oh, yeah. So product allocation is another one of the things that the union secured commitments from the automakers to for to invest in their U.S. plants and allocate new products to them, especially in areas of electric and hybrid vehicles. For example, Stellantis agreed to build a new product at its idled assembly plant in Illinois, and Ford agreed to build electric F-150 pickup trucks at the Druge plant in Michigan. So that's another big thing that like no one's really talking about when it comes to this. They got them to promise that they're going to continue to invest in plants in America instead of overseas. Yeah, I know that was a big thing. Ford was going to go over to Mexico mm-hmm. and start building electric, which would have been devastating. Honestly, it's like it was like 40,000 jobs in the end or something like that. So go unions. They, uh, they, they got their deals. And they kept jobs in America. Yeah. Bonus. Unions did that. <laughs> so, Bell, Ukraine's corrupt? What? All right. So, it's all really stupid. Um, pretty much, there's a bunch of people running to President Zelensky saying that they are suffering reputational damage because people are stealing, people are... Uh, paying government officials to get out of the war and go somewhere else because they were drafted and they're like high-ranking officials. Yeah. And it's not just Bumbles either. There was a leaked U.S. Like This is on Politico.com. The name of the article is Leaked U.S. Strategy on Ukraine Sees Corruption as a Real Threat. A report obtained by Politico details specific plans to reform Ukrainian institutions and warns Western support may hinge on cutting corruption. So I'm just going to read this article. Beautiful. It's it's not that long. Might be a little long, but the Biden administration officials are far more worried about corruption in Ukraine than they publicly admit. A confidential U.S. strategy document obtained by Politico suggests. The sensitive but unclassified version of the long-term U.S. plan lays out numerous steps Washington has taken to help Kiev root out malfeasance and otherwise reform an array of Ukrainian sectors, 
It stresses that corruption could cause Western allies to abandon Ukraine's fight against Russia's invasion and that Kiev cannot put off the anti-graft effort. Mm -hmm. Perceptions of high-level corruption, the confidential version of the document warns, could undermine the Ukrainian public's and foreign leaders' confidence in the wartime government. That's starker than the analysis available in the little-noticed public version of the 22-page document, which the State Department appears to have posted on its website with no fanfare about a month ago. I wonder why they kept that one quiet. (laughs) Only costs us how much money? Oh, my God. So much money. So, and what they're doing, like, and it's, it's just, it's, it's bullshit. Like they're over there and they're holding, right? Like there's, they have their, uh, they, I forget what it's called exactly, but they're not letting males leave the country. You're not allowed to leave. You have to stay there to fight, but yet their public officials are going to places like Spain for vacation and things like that. So we're giving them money and they're buying coats with that money and then selling them to their own military at like 10 times the price. So listen to this. Time senior correspondent Simon Schuster wrote about his experience following Zelensky and his team back to Ukraine after they visited the U.S. in September to appeal for aid. Uh, Billions and billions of dollars in aid. Noting in Washington they had faced insistent calls for Zelensky to fight corruption inside his own government and the fading enthusiasm for a war that has no end in sight. And no one's even talking about it anymore. And we're still funding it. We got what? what yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny, right? The the is the Israeli uh, conflict is happening, yeah. and a bunch of Republicans were like, "No more money to Ukraine." But, but now they're spinning it to where it's like, "All right, we'll give money to Ukraine if you give money to Israel and money and the to the wall. border wall." Yep. All in one bill. <sighs> Talk about some bipartisanship. The confidential version of the integrated country strategy is about three times. Oof. Sorry, burped in the mic. It's about three times as long and contains many more details about U.S. objectives in Ukraine, from privatizing its banks to helping more schools teach English to encouraging its military to adopt NATO protocols. Many goals are designed to reduce the corruption that bedevils the country. So, listen, Ukraine, you got to privatize your banks because private banks work so well for us. And you got to make sure you teach everyone English, <laughs> which doesn't make a lick of sense to me. And then encouraging its military to adopt NATO protocols. The quiet release of the strategy and the fact that the toughest language was left in the confidential version underscores the messaging challenge facing the Biden team. The administration wants to press Ukraine to cut graft, not least because U.S. dollars are at stake, but being too loud about the issue could embolden opponents of U.S. aid to Ukraine. Many of them, Republican lawmakers, who are trying to block such assistance. Well, at least they don't have to worry about that anymore. Any, per- <laughs> any perception of weakened American support for Kiev could also cause more European countries to think twice about their role. When it comes to the Ukrainians, there are the most honest... There are some honest conversations happening behind the scenes. A U.S. official familiar with the Ukraine policy said, like others, the person was granted anonymity to discuss the sensitive issue. Because no one wants to fucking talk about how fucking corrupt Ukraine is. They're the most Ukraine, most corrupt European country. Even before the war, they weren't going to be allowed into the EU or NATO because of how corrupt they were. Remember, remember when, um, remember the perfect phone call? Yeah. 
remember how everybody was saying that literally everybody Democrats now that are like post, they got their Facebook profile pictures as the Ukraine flag and shit. Those people were like, well, Ukraine's corrupt. And of course, Trump is trying to be corrupt with them. Yeah. Until Trump was sniffing up the right ass. He just made it about himself in his narcissistic way. And that's what made it the perfect phone call. Dude, I just, it's so funny. It's so funny. Ukrainian graft has long been a concern of U.S. officials all the way up to President Joe Biden. But the topic was de-emphasized in the wake of Russia's February 2022 full-scale invasion, which Biden has called a real-life battle of democracy against autocracy, which is really funny now because uh, Zelensky has since then made his country nothing but an autocracy when he has... Uh, use his emergency powers to under martial law ban 11 political parties that are linked to <laughs> yeah. Russia and to nationalize TV news and implement implement a unified information policy and he said these measures were necessary to counter Russian aggression and propaganda so we're going to combat propaganda with pr- propaganda you know who started <laughs> that yeah. America <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, you know what president Obama? Yeah, under the NDAA, yeah, Obama. Um, Zelensky's actions are undemocratic, is argued by some of his uh, people who are opposing his different uh, policies, and ineffective, and that they could feel more violence and instability in the region, kind of like the instability that uh, we started there. We started instability somewhere. That's crazy, right? We destabilized the region. <laughs> America would never. We've never done that. For months, Biden aides stuck to their brief mentions of corruption. They wanted to show or aides stuck to brief mentions of corruption. They wanted to show solidarity with Kiev and avoid giving fuel to a small number of Republican lawmakers critical of U.S. military and economic aid for Ukraine. Basically, nothing to see here. More than a year into the full-scale war, U.S. officials are pressing the matter more in a pub- more in public and private. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, for instance, met in early September with a delegation from Ukraine, Ukrainian anti-corruption institutions. A second U.S. official familiar with the discussions confirmed to Politico reports that the Biden administration is talking to Ukrainian leaders about potentially conditioning future economic aid on reforms to tackle corruption and make Ukraine a more attractive place for private investment. It's just written on the wall, right? Like, dude, just stop being so corrupt so we can move our companies there and make some money off you guys. Like, for real, why is this so hard for you to understand? Imagine how corrupt they have to be for them to say that shit. For our corrupt officials to go, you guys are corrupt. You guys are way fucked up. Our country loves butting into other businesses and telling them how to run their shit. Well, they got all the nuclear reactors there and all of that, dude. They sell energy to everybody. They're the breadbasket of America. Mm Mm-hmm. And Europe. I mean, I'm sorry, not of America. I'm sorry, no, of Europe. America is very self-sufficient on their food, yes. No, Ukraine got all the energy they sell, and they're right in the Black Sea right there. They can ship out oil for other countries. Dude, it's just... Such conditions are not being considered for military aid, said the official. Mm -hmm. A spokesperson for Ukraine's foreign ministry did not respond to requests for comment, but Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has fired several top defense officials in a recent crackdown on alleged graft, a message to the United States and Europe that he's listening. He's like, okay, I fired a couple guys. What's up? 
The integrated country strategy is a State Department product that draws on contributions from other parts of the U.S. government, including the Defense Department. It includes a list of goals, timelines for achieving them, and milestones that the U.S. officials would like to see hit. The State Department produces such strategies for many countries over it, once every few years. So basically every country that we give them military aid, we're like, hey, you got to run your country like this. And if you don't, we'll just topple your government like we did in Iran. And Nicaragua or Ukraine in 2014. They're like, hey, right. you remember what we did? Right. A State Department official speaking on behalf of the department would not say if Washington had shared the longer version of the strategy with the Ukrainian government or whether a classified version exists. William Taylor, a former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, said many ordinary Ukrainians will likely welcome the strategy because they, too, are tired of the endemic corruption in their country. Well, us and the Ukrainian people sure have a lot in common, Bell. <laughs> they don't like their government being corrupt. Yeah. It's all fine as long as it doesn't get in the way of the assistance we provide them to win the war, he said. The document says that fulfilling American objectives for Ukraine includes making good on U.S. promises of equipment and training to help Ukraine's armed forces fend off the Kremlin's attacks. The confidential version also describes the U.S. goals, such as helping reform elements of Ukraine's national security apparatus to allow for a decentralized, risk-tolerant approach to ex execution of tasks and reduce opportunities for corruption. Although the NATO military alliance is not close to allowing Ukraine to join, the American strategy often cites a desire to make Ukraine's military adopt NATO standards. One's hope for milestone listed in the confidential version is that Ukraine's defense ministry establishes a professional junior officer and non-commissioned officer corps with NATO standard doctrine and principles. Even the format and content of Ukraine's defense documents should reflect NATO terminology, a confidential section of the strategy says. One target includes creating a national level resistance plan that could allude to ordinary Ukrainians fighting back if Russia gains more territory. The State Department official would not clarify that point. The U.S. also wants to see Ukraine produce its own military equipment by establishing a domestic defense industry capable of supporting core needs, as well as an environment that boosts defense information technology startups, according to one of the confidential sections. U.S. officials appear especially concerned about the role of an elite few in Ukraine's economy. God damn it. It sure is funny how we are so quick to judge other countries who have an elite few in charge. Yet when we talk about it here, it's just brushed aside or you're called a conspiracy theorist. When BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard own so much of literally everything in this country. The oligarchization, that's a mouthful. The oligarchization particularly of the energy and mining sectors, as a core tenant to building back a better Ukraine. The public part of the strategy declares, one indicator of success, the confidential version states, is that the Ukrainian government embraces meaningful reforms, decentralizing control of the energy sector. America is basically, it's like, we don't care if you're corrupt, we just want you to privatize everything. <laughs> the United States appears eager to help Ukrainian institutions build their oversight capacities. The goals listed include everything from helping local governments assess corruption risks to reforms in human resource offices. As one example of the strategy, the U.S. is one. As one example, the strategy says the U.S. is helping the accounting chamber of Ukraine enhance its auditing and related work in part so it can track direct budget support from the United States. They're like, hey, we really need to find out where our money is going. Because they really don't know. 
The strategy describes ways in which the United States is helping Ukraine's health sector, cyber defenses, and organizations that battle disinformation. It calls for supporting Ukrainian anti-monopoly efforts and initiatives to spur increased tax revenue for the country's coffers. The confidential portion calls for Ukraine's financial systems to increase lending to encourage business expansion and a reduction in the state's role in the banking sector. One envisioned milestone for that section is that the Alpha Bank is transparently returned to private ownership, and that appears to be a reference to an institution now known as SenseBank, which has previous which was previously Russian-owned but nationalized by Ukraine. The U.S. strategy appears intent on ensuring that Ukraine not only retains its orientation towards the West, but it help but that it develops special ties with America. So that's what it ultimately is about. We want more. We want money from you. We're going to help you out now, but you better help us out later. Mm-hmm. One way Washington believes that will happen is through the English language. The strategy indicates the United States is offering technical and other aid to Ukrainians education ministry to improve the teaching of English, and that it believes offering English lessons can help reintegrate Ukrainians freed from Russian occupation. <laughs> mm. The strategy indicates the United States is offering technical and other aid to Ukrainians' education ministry to improve the teaching of English and that it believes offering English lessons can help reintegrate Ukrainians freed from Russian occupation. Yeah. How does that fucking make sense? Ukraine isn't an English-speaking country. Half of it does speak Russian. And teaching them English is going to help reintegrate Ukrainians freed from Russian occupation. I'll tell you what, Bell. If I fucking go to Ukraine tomorrow and all I speak is fucking English, I'm not going to feel integrated in the Ukrainian fucking culture. I was trying to play devil's advocate with you, but I I can't do it. (laughs) There's no way. There's nothing. There, I, there is no reason that I can think of that that would need to happen <laughs> or should happen or a good reason why at all. Teach them Bulgarian. Teach them something. They live by them. Right. <laughs> Speak English. We can't understand you. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't fucking get it. Oh man, I'm, a, I wanted to do a Chappelle joke, kind of. <laughs> Teach him Israeli. Send him over to Israel. No. <laughs> oh, no Teach him Israeli. Don't they speak Yiddish? What do they, they speak? speak Hebrew. Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Chappelle joke. Come on. <laughs> it wasn't a Chappelle joke. I botched it. I said Yiddish. I know. I don't know. They might. You might not. U.S. officials are also helping Ukraine build its capacity to prosecute war crimes in its own judicial system. The desired milestones include the selection of more than 2,000 new judges and clearing up a backlog of over 9,000 judicial misconduct complaints. 9,000 judicial misconduct complaints. So literally 9,000 people are like, yeah, our whole judicial system is fucked. You remember we we did that? We went over all those numbers. You remember that? Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, we I did. I couldn't even tell you which episode it was, but we did talk about we the judicial mis- misconduct complaints in Ukraine. Was, was that that was in Ukraine too, right? No, we that, was, that was here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we have we deal with the same shit here. Yeah, that was here. Wow. Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. 
What a, uh... The strategy also calls for rebuilding the U.S. diplomatic presence in Ukraine, expanding beyond Kiev to cities such as Lviv, Odessa, Kharkiv, and Dnipro. We just want to put Americans all up in Ukraine's guts. Due to earlier staff drawdowns spread by the full-scale Russian invasion, the embassy remains in crisis mode. One of the public section states, the State Department official would not discuss the current embassy staffing numbers. As they have in past communications reported on by Politico, U.S. officials note inventive ways in which the United States is providing oversight of American aid to Ukraine despite facing limitations due to the war. Those efforts have included using an app called Sealer, S-C-A-L-R, to help track the aid. Could you imagine, just for one moment, Bell, just imagine if America put this much effort into fighting corruption at home as they do in other countries. Could you imagine? We would, they'd be out of a job. Imagine all the people. They'd be out of a job. <laughs> yeah, out of a job. Oh my God, that's just insane to me. It, that, that pisses me off so much that we put so much effort into other countries and basing stipulations that whether or not we're going to give them billions of dollars billions. based on the corruption levels in their country. Yet here, we just constantly just turn a blind eye. So Ukraine's corrupt as shit. That's all I got to say about that. I know. Want to talk about Google? You want to talk about Google? Let's talk about Google. Google versus everybody. <laughs> so the current court. So there's a current court case against Google. It is in a, it is a federal antitrust lawsuit filed by the U.S. Department of Justice, the DOJ, and several state attorneys, several state attorneys general, on January twenty fourth, twenty twenty three. The lawsuit accuses Google of illegally monopolizing the digital advertising technology market which is the market for tools and platforms that website publishers and online advertisers use to buy and sell ads on the internet. The lawsuit claims that Google has used acquisitions, contracts, and manipulation of auctions to eliminate or weaken its competitors and force more publishers and advertisers to use its products. The lawsuit seeks to restore competition in the market and obtain relief for the American public. The lawsuit is separate from another antitrust lawsuit filed by the DOJ in some states in 2020, which alleges that Google has abused its dominance in, search, in the search engine market. That lawsuit is scheduled for trial in September 2023, the Go which now it's November, so I'm wondering how that lawsuit's going. Google has denied the allegations and argued its products are beneficial for consumers, publishers, and advertisers. Google has also said that it faces strong competition from other com companies in the digital advertising industry. The court case against Google is one of the most significant antitrust actions against a tech giant in recent history, and it could have major implications for the future of the internet and the digital economy. I'm assuming that the last time something this big happened when it came to a big tech agency being fucked with with an antitrust law was probably Microsoft. You know, you when know, they were putting, they were putting, what was it? They're putting Internet Explorer on all of their products, right? Right. Yes. I was about to say it's the same. I don't know if it's the same because Internet Explorer was endemic to Windows, but Google is paying everybody to be their default search engine. Mm -hmm. Apple, they're going multi platform. Yeah. Like, Windows even like, so even for my phone, yeah. like, 
my uh, my web browser that comes with the Apple phone is Safari, but it's powered by Google search engines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I it's even though I've been using Bing a lot more because they have the Chat GPT. Is that DuckDuckGo? DuckDuckGo is one people been using, but even DuckDuck. But so here's the thing: DuckDuckGo doesn't track your cookies, but it still uses the Google search engine. I'm sure. It does. I'm sure it uses a lot of search. There, engines there is no and, sure. Just 100. percent Right. They do. And I'm sure it uses a lot, and then has its own way of differentiating. So I'm curious to see where this case goes because I am against yeah. monopolies. You know, I don't oh, like sure. the idea that when everyone is using this one search engine. And it's been proven that they suppress different voices and stuff like that in the country. That's a big no-no to me. What what I think is interesting is um, they've been building this case for a long time. Yes, I'm curious to see what happens. They started building it under Donald Trump. And they continued it into Joe Biden's presidency. And he was just like, yeah, let's still go after him. Yes, I'm curious to see where this one goes. And then... uh, that's really all I have on that one. It was just something I wanted to bring up, just to, for everyone that listens to keep their well, I will keep say, their ear to the ear to the ground. I will say ear. this: you said the trial started in September. Is that what you said? Yeah, but that but that was in September of 2023, so, so it's already right. So they said it's expected to take ten weeks for the whole entire trial. Interesting. So we're gonna keep our eye on that one, and then also Ohio has an abor- has abortion on the ballot. In uh, oh yeah, in a voting, I believe next week, and I don't have anything written down about that, but I think it might still be on my actual Bing search. Um, in Ohio, voters will decide whether to amend the state constitution to protect the right to abortion and prevent any future restrictions on the procedure. The amendment, known as Issue One, was proposed by a citizen-led group in response to the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade last year. Supporters of the issue one say it is necessary to safeguard production, reproductive freedom in Ohio, while its opponents argue it's extreme and unnecessary, which is funny because that's the same verbiage they used here in Michigan and no right. one bought it and they passed it. And I would like to see, like personally, if you are in Ohio, go ahead and vote for body autonomy because you saw how fast the government can actually try to strip you of your body autonomy, whether it was the vaccine mandates or abortions if you're not on one side you're on the other and if you were for body autonomy with one then you should be with body autonomy for the other because ultimately what you're doing is you're stop getting the government from having that say because when the precedence is set they can come after you either way be consistent in your damn beliefs yeah be consistent in your belief if you were if you were 100 for body autonomy when it came to vaccine mandates then you should be 100 for body autonomy when it comes to women's reproductive rights to body autonomy period right period Period. Period. End of story. <laughs> um, and uh, damn, Bell, I think we got to everything. I think so. So let me just read this off real quick, and then I'll send you all on your way to you didn't chew on beginning. the words that we said, because I didn't do it in the beginning. You're right. Libsurda Podcast is found on all social media and podcast platforms. Our website is libsurdashow.com. We can be found at Libservative on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Instagram and Twitter at Libsurdapod. Our TikTok videos can be found at Libservative Podcast, and you can reach out directly at libservativepod at gmail.com. Subscribe today. Today. You should do it like right now because I think the actual doomsday clock is at like 90 seconds. So 
Get on it. It hasn't moved any uh, closer to midnight. No, but 90 seconds is still like the closest it's ever been. I know, but they're so dramatic. Until next time, Dan will be back. He's Bell the Body Snatcher. This is Corey Walsh. And we are out of here. Peace. Peace. Aw, that's not the full size one. I wanted to cover up the whole thing. Still looks good. Bye, guys. Oh, I gotta go this way. (laughs) Peace. Peace.